0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD. Today, we're going to talk about what is deemed to be a crisis across the United States. And that is a crisis of recruitment and retention of the police. And here in New York City, uh, it's exacerbated by the migrant crisis, which has required, well, in his own mind, Mayor Eric Adams, he's cut the budget by by five percent for the next few years, and what that will do is the five classes of recruits they intended to put in for the NYPD will now be cut to zero. So with the current attrition rate which is extremely high because many people are leaving the police force for their own personal reasons without having reached the mandatory 20 year 20 years of service in order to receive a half pay pension so many veteran officers are leaving early and today's show that's what we're going to discuss we're going to discuss why why has policing becomes such an unattractive job. The calling that generations of Irish and now Dominican, Black people, now going on police departments. And a lot of times it's generations because once a family member goes in, other family members feel that it could be their calling also. But it's not happening anymore because the people that have gone on this job And we call the NYPD the job. Cops talk to each other, say, you on the job? Because it's that big of a thing. We have our own lingo. But that's not occurring anymore. Because the job has been made so unattractive by many, many things. And we're going to discuss that. Mostly it's politicians that that have made this job. The NYPD and other police forces across this nation so unattractive. So hold on to your seats. You're about to enter the zone, the off the cuff zone, police off the cuff. There has to be some common sense.
1: Yes, sir, they have the car stopped in Tim and Grant's
0: We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Joining me tonight, this afternoon, to discuss this very important topic is retired NYPD Sergeant, professor, law degree, professor at Albertus Magnus College in Connecticut, Mike Geary. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, Billy, good afternoon, and good afternoon to everybody who's listening in. You know, Mike, I know that we can list all the things that have made this job so unpleasant. For people that in the last 10, 15 years, I've been already retired for 12 years. I went on in 1985 and retired in 2011. And I love the job, but it was slowly changing in my last few years. But some of the things that have occurred to cops that are on the job now, and and we're going to stay with New York City for right now, is we'll talk qualified immunity. Get rid of it. City right. council voted to get rid of it. That, in, in essence, indemnifies police officers in case they do something that they can get civilly sued for. Now they're taking that away. So what does that do? That makes them personally liable. So if something you do on the job, like get into a shooting, which you can never plan on doing that, you can be personally sued. And they could take your home and take your cars and your, everything you own. That in itself would preclude me from going on the job if that was the case. The other thing, the diaphragm law in New York City, one of the most stupid laws ever made by the city council. So I gotta assume the entire city council are a bunch of morons. A cop when he makes an arrest is not allowed to put his knee in the back of the perpetrator, thus restricting the perpetrator's diaphragm. But what does it do to the police officer? It makes making an arrest so dangerous that it puts the officer in danger to the lawbreaker and gives the advantage to the lawbreaker. Another, I'm going to go over these quickly and I'm going to take your opinion. Bail reform, and I'm, I'm going to let you talk about that. Releasing cop killers that were sentenced to life without parole. They're getting released now. That was done. That was a an Andrew Cuomo thing. Uh, DAs, the... Uh, District attorneys, assistant district attorneys, the district attorneys of all five boroughs, not prosecuting low-level crimes. Horrific. That's why, and we'll get into that, too, the retail stores are being put out of business, like not just in New York City and other places also. Body-worn video. That seems like it's been with us forever. A cop has a video on his chest on the left side of his body. That records everything he does into, and sometimes, and usually, what it shows is how the cops are correct ninety-nine percent of the time. Uh, enforced overtime, and I'll, we'll right. talk about that later. Uh, Protest that seem to there's one every day in the city. It seems, and uh, lastly, and we'll get into this to uh, a little more deeply is defund the police. That's probably the catalyst that pulled the cart of the anti-police rhetoric across this nation. Mike, you want to start at qualified immunity?
2: Yeah, Billy, people don't realize that uh, police officers are going to, you know, in their everyday interactions with, with, um, with uh, people on the street, whether you're pulling someone over, making a car stop, giving them a ticket, whether you're answering a call uh, at a, as a, a domestic violence case, um, you have you're handling an emotionally disturbed person out on the street, uh, you have to arrest someone who's a shoplift or someone who's just hurt someone, someone else. You know, you can, you, there, will, can there can always be an allegation that you racially profiled someone in that car stop, that you, um, you know, were failed in your obligations uh, regarding the, uh, the a crime victim or a domestic violence person. You may, uh, the person that you're arresting who may have committed a, a robbery, burglary, You know, uh, at assault, you go to arrest them and they resist. So, therefore, you're using um, yourself yourself, using physical force that you are constitutionally allowed to use under federal and state law. And the allegation, the mere allegation by the defendant or the person receiving the summons is more of like a, a shield. I'm sorry, it's more of like a sword, and the immunity law would protect you as a shield. Because it would make them actually prove some sort of actual bias that you engaged in against them, and uh, it makes you much more civilly liable, and therefore um, district attorneys and uh, you know a lot of times will lower charges, uh, judges will dismiss cases, Um, you may be sued, and the city may not indemnify you. Usually, it used to be that um, you were almost almost always indemnified, but in New York City, they've changed that. And uh, they'll indemnify you for certain things, but maybe not for others, especially in use of force cases where the city feels like they may uh, have to pay out a large check. Um, and a lot of times the cities, the city, especially New York City, they settle these cases. They don't go to trial, and uh, but they'll indemnify you. So you're getting sued, but the city will
0: handle it. Now, police officers can't always be so sure. You know, Mike, one of the things also when you talk about body-worn video and Mm -hmm. when it's the police, everyone says, oh, they should be watched. I would just like to challenge everyone that's listening to this show. Just think about yourself at your own job, no matter what you do. Mm -hmm. Imagine you wearing body-worn video that tracks every single thing you do. How about a doctor performing Mm -hmm. surgery? Imagine he had to wear body worn video, a dentist, uh, an attorney, right? You know, all these important jobs. Just think how that maybe changes your behavior. Maybe for a surgeon, he might be afraid to take a risky procedure that he would ordinarily do, but because he's being videotaped, he may, you know, he may not want to take that risky procedure that potentially could save someone's life. On the other hand, you could also, catch wrongdoing. But when it's the policing service, everyone's in favor of, you know, body-worn video. Yeah, let's watch everything these guys do because cops are corrupt, you know, and uh, even though they're put in horrendously ridiculous situations every single day of the week, we want to make sure they do it perfectly. And if they don't, we're going to sue them, you know? So under all of these things that we're listing, um, this is why no one wants this job. And people that are on this job right now are leaving in droves, and not just in New York City, Mike.
2: Yeah, Billy. When you get back to the body-worn cameras, um, years ago, they—I remember the city. The city wanted to do a pilot project and put them on the dashboards of RMPs in highway, and just start with that. And I remember uh, in the legal bureau, I responded and said, you know, and d- gave a legal opinion, thought that wouldn't be a good idea because. You know, you're going to get a defense attorney, you're going to get someone who will say the police officer made a technical violation here or technical violation of the rules and procedures, whatever. And it would just turn into a nitpicking kind of thing. It would be ridiculous. But um, amazingly, when you look at the videos on YouTube uh, and you see these sorts of things that are posted there, um, what you do see is a lot of pretty damn good policing and a lot of verbal and physical abuse by the public which in some ways is good because it gives people the broad a ide- broad range of ideas to say look you know maybe there's something about the job that you know we didn't know about that people are actually kind of nasty to the police throw things at them resist arrest you know that sort of thing and that's good for policing in one way but on the other hand when when there's a deadly force situation and you're making that decision. We know statistically in New York City, the average gunfight between a cop and a perp, it lasts about, you know, maybe one to two seconds. It involves maybe within 10 feet and is like a number of shots fired. And then that's it. It's just not something out of the movie Tombstone. right? And, but, and the police officers making that decision in an instant. Okay. And the public will now sit and watch the video over and over and over again and slow it down, speed it up, look, and it becomes uh, the public that has no training at all in law enforcement, has never put on a blue uniform, now gets to sit in judgment, watching a video back and forth, back and forth. And it tends to uh, really diminish uh, the the dis- difficulty that the police officer faced in making a split second decision um, right there, a de- in a deadly physical force situation, it's really sad. It really Absolutely. destroys. You know,
0: Mike, I want to play a little bit of this from NBC News, uh, ABC News, on. The recruitment and retention problem on police departments nationally. Okay.
3: Big cities to small towns, law enforcement agencies across the country are in a bidding war for new officers offering bonuses and perks, trying to recruit the next generation of police officers as many lifelong first responders leave the profession in droves. It's leading to significant shortages impacting cities that are already dealing with increases in violent crime. ABC's Joe O'Brien looks into why so many officers are walking away from the job.
4: All Anthony Carapucci ever wanted to be was a cop. An Afghanistan war veteran, the son of two police officers, public service felt like his calling. Policing is essentially really all I know. You know, I I love the job. But in September, after almost a decade with the Philadelphia Police Department, he quit. Thank you for doing this. And called us after turning in his gun and badge, feeling burnt out. It was, um kind of heartbreaking in a sense i'm not gonna lie you know because it's really everything that i knew everything that i loved yes it's a good job it's an honorable job but it's almost not worth it philadelphia like other major american cities is seeing an exodus of police officers los angeles is down at least 500 cops new orleans more than 300 officers short from a few years ago and in wisconsin this year the entire state reached a record low for police officers But in the city of Brotherly Love, Police Commissioner Danielle Outlaw is facing a shortage of 600 officers, roughly 10% of the force's full strength, nearly the same number of cops out on disability. How long until your staffing levels are critical?
5: It's critical now. It's already critical. Uh,
4: was critical a year ago. Bracing for a crushing wave of upcoming officer retirements, a city report also found Outlaw's team needs to triple its recruitment over the next three years to avoid even worse shortages.
5: You can only eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? We're going to be realistic about that. And in order... when look, look at those numbers. That took time to get here.
4: It sounds like you're saying that your numbers of officers, the shortages you face... Are going to get worse before they get better I think so you've had homicides right in this neighborhood right in, the corner, right in the corner yeah Jamal Johnson and anti
0: so yeah. disturbing right I mean if you can't get first of all let's look at it who's gonna suffer the most and the yep. answer to that is the public right and or the mostly yeah. very poor communities yeah. uh, the p- communities of color they're always referred to by the press Those are the ones who are going to suffer the most because of this police shortage. They're not calling the police in the amount in rich communities that they do in poor communities. Not to say there's no crime in rich communities, but poor communities call the police for everything. We all know that. And those are the people that are going to suffer most when no one's coming. You call 911 and no one's coming. How scary is that, Mike?
2: Yeah, Billy, you know, this is something that has been building for years and it got exacerbated during COVID and the George Floyd killing. Um, And it's just, it's a snowball. And we've seen it in New York City. Twice as many police officers are retiring now as previous, as we'd normally do. And I remember reading an article about the Minneapolis Police Department, which is the most directly affected by the George Floyd killing. And uh, they're down about 40%. Nobody wants the job. They went from like 900 officers down to 500 officers. Nobody, nobody wants it. The public doesn't support policing. The politicians don't support policing. The uh, district attorneys won't prosecute people that you arrest. Um, you can understand that, that, that gentleman who was a soldier in Afghanistan, is in the Philadelphia Police Department, his whole family, that was a family tradition. And it's gone now. And that's sad because those are the people who give, a, you know, 100% and a little extra day in, day out. And you're losing them. And who are you going to get? You're going to to be, you know, who, who's going to take the job?
0: Yeah. You know, Mike, one of the things also that I feel is that the public and politicians, I think they're unrealistic mm-hmm. in regards to the responsibilities and the responses that the police are supposed to do every day. Police are not machines. They are human beings. And specifically, I'm pointing to New York City where the numbers of police are way, way down, yet cops are expected, if they're told, you're not going home, guess what? It's a paramilitary organization. And when you're ordered to stay at work and work 14 or 16 hours, that's what you're going to do. And then if they say at the end of those 14, 16, 14 or 16 hours, be back tomorrow at 0445 hours. So now you can't even go home. you got to mm-hmm. sleep at the precinct, turn around, take a shower, brush your teeth, and go right back out. And that's why guys are quitting this job. That's burnout. What kind of family life can you have if after you've finished your tour where you've worked 12 or 14 hours, they say be back here at 0445 a.m. to start a new tour because there's a protest down at the brooklyn bridge and we need it's all hands on deck you've heard that expression
2: yeah yeah billy you know you would during the summer when you'd have some like protest season and you'd have people marching in manhattan or the bronx or brooklyn queens you know you'd expect some overtime and a lot of times you'd have the task force units they'd be bronx task force brooklyn queens you know that sort of thing and they would do some overtime highway would get some of the overtime also but the average precinct police officer like myself wouldn't be that much affected. But here you now have protests 12 months out of the year and everybody's expected to be like you say, all hands on deck. And it's, you know, rather than a a few people doing it uh, at a few times per year, now it's affecting everybody and it's all year long. And after a while you just got to say, you know, you can't take it any longer. What What am I doing here? you know, I ha- it's, it's, you're exhausted. And that's not good when you have cops working 12 and 14 and 16 hours a day straight for like weeks and weeks on end, you're going to make mistakes, you're not going to be sharp. Um, the, the, the public is going to suffer. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a downward spiraling situation. And it hasn't yet come to the bottom, we have to bottom out, in life before we can rebuild and we haven't even bottomed out yet so it's going to get as a gentleman who was talking to the philadelphia police chief said um do you think it's going to get worse before it gets better and the answer is absolutely yes
0: yep absolutely already calls
4: like murders and shootings but patrolling and proactive policing stopping crimes before they occur are often some of the first tasks put on pause when a department's ranks dip it seems like you're leading a department that's just getting burned out.
5: I think many of us are. Many of us are. Across the country.
4: Across the country. This is not unique to Philadelphia. A recent survey of law enforcement leaders found over half of agencies in the U.S. have fewer officers than they did four or five years ago. And nearly three out of every four departments warned their number of new applicants dropped off significantly over that same period. In Virginia... That man, come out now! You're gonna get bit! ...at the Fairfax County Criminal Justice Academy... Oh, boy, buddy! ...their numbers have been in steady decline for years.
6: In 2018, our average class size was in the 50s. Mm. Uh, now our average class size starts in the 30s.
1: This police department's been around since 1940. And it's never had the vacancy rate that, that we have now, in spite of us doing more on the recruiting and retention than we've ever done before.
4: Fairfax County Police Chief Kevin Davis says exit interviews show officers are leaving because they're not feeling valued and think they can find better opportunities elsewhere.
1: They're going into IT. They're going into sales. They're, they're teaching. We've even had a f- personal leave to go be a farmer. Many cops
4: across the country now forced to work punishing mandatory overtime to make up for big shortages and some discouraged by how they're treated, including hearing phrases like
1: defund the police. I know that the sentiment behind defund the police is police better and police better, particularly in black and brown communities. A 24 year old cop who hasn't lived very long sees that phrase as a uh, anti-police rhetoric. And, and it makes them feel a certain way, and it doesn't make them feel very good. There are those that would say law enforcement's undermined its its
4: own credibility. What's your response to that?
5: But those are the same people that will call 911 and will file a complaint if we don't get there quickly enough.
4: But in this great resignation where millions, right. including cops, are leaving lifelong jobs, the At clock is ticking. Time, does he pose a threat? To convince millennials and even Gen Z that police work is worth it.
1: Examine your heart. Do you want to serve? Do you want to make your... Community better and your family safer, and your neighbors safer, and your friends safer. In Fairfax,
4: because their applicant pool is smaller, the Academy is now focused on outreach to the most dedicated of potential recruits, like Mitra M.T. She drives three hours both ways every day to attend this Academy.
6: Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, Mandy.
4: Inspired by the call to serve. I couldn't see myself doing anything else. But back in Philadelphia... I can't imagine being more worried about law enforcement than I am right now. John Hoyt with the city's police union says the sons and daughters of cops, many of whom used to jump at the chance to enter the family business, now are not. The problem is
7: those mothers and fathers that are current police officers or retired are saying, don't go into the
0: business.
4: Right now, Commissioner Outlaw's task, she believes, is to convince the Philadelphia community That policing is still a trusted profession, under pressure to grow her ranks before too many cops leave for good.
5: I've always been optimistic. Law enforcement has been around for how many years now? I mean, if and you don't
0: think it's going anywhere?
5: No, no. Our thanks to Jay O'Brien for that.
0: So you know, Mike, one of the things that was the outgrowth of, uh, of course, the the. the George Floyd uh, shoot, uh, killer homicide. homicide was to defund the police movement. Mm-hmm. And when you realize that and how many people actually went for that, it's very scary because even politicians were talking that. And that was started by Black Lives Matter, which we know now is a hugely corrupt organization that was stealing millions of dollars. And every neighborhood that pushed for the defund the police in 2020 is now totally abandoning that idea and say, oh, my God, that was the worst idea possible. It's ridiculous. And one of the things, whenever something new is tried uh, in this country, smart people always say, well, where's your statistics? Where is your evidence that that works? Have we tried that? And what is your plan? There was no plan. It was a slogan to fund the police by some idiots that some people were backing up with their money. And even now the whole movement where district attorneys don't prosecute, where did that come from? What unelected official, and we point to George Soros and some of these other left-wing ideologue billionaires who want things a certain way, who elected them to do that? And now almost every district attorney in New York, at least, and many other places in this country, look what's going on with larceny from stores. They are putting stores out of business because they refuse to prosecute larceny from stores.
2: Philly, it's ideology over common sense. We've seen this time and time again in many different facets of society. And the idea of we're going to defund the police and that will make things better. Well, okay. That, as you say, that's a slogan. What's your plan to make things better? If you can take money from the police and have less police out on the street, how are you going to handle the calls for service? You have to handle the calls for service. The police are the only twenty-four hour, seven-day-a-week municipal service. We're out there. The you know, I'm sorry. There's also the fire firefighters and the other first responders, but that's it. You know, a lot of city agencies. They close after four o'clock in the afternoon. They're Monday to Friday. The police are out there. The first responders are out there handling the emergencies that there are. So the emergencies are still going to occur. The crime is still going to occur. How are you going to address those with less first responders, less police? Oh, by the way, they don't have a plan. All we have is a slogan. You know, hope for the for a better future is not a strategy. You know, they have no research whatsoever. and um, by making by, by saying, well, we're not going to um, prosecute uh, felonies, uh, nonviolent felonies. We're not going to prosecute you know, misdemeanors, uh, anything like petty larceny, uh, shoplifting. Uh, because we don't want those people arrested and have a criminal record and hurt their chances to turn around their life. Okay, nice. that's really nice. That's a goal. That's aspirational. But let's look at what the effect of that. Well, that makes every store a target now. That makes every person out on the street who's walking around, man or woman or child, a target now. Because everyone knows if you attack that person or if you steal from that store, there is absolutely no consequence. So therefore, you've just made in your quest for a perfect society, a utopia You've made you've turned it into dystopia because you've made every single store and every single walking human being in that city a target without any sort of consequence to the criminal. And that is pathetic. No, no excuse. No excuse for the idiocy of people doing that sort of thing.
0: I agree, Mike. And I, I just want to read a little bit. This is from a, a New York Times article from uh, June 16th of this year. And I'm just going to read a, a little bit from an, so I'm, I'm cutting into it. Three years after the defund, the police became a rallying cry across the nation. Efforts to dramatically divert resources from police or do away with conventional policing entirely have largely been abandoned uh, to in Minneapolis and beyond. The movement faltered in Minneapolis after activists failed to build broad support for a goal that lacked a clear definition and an actionable plan. As crime surged during the early years of the coronavirus pandemic and officers left the police force in droves, Republicans seized on the debate to paint Democrats as being recklessly soft on crime. The language in the politics prevented folks from delving more deeply into the core conversation some activists were trying to have, said Nikima Levy-Armstrong, a civil rights lawyer in Minneapolis, has been a critic of the police department. Again, this is the New York Times. This guy's a leftist. 100%. And just the fact that he's saying they didn't give it a chance. Are you kidding me, dude? People's lives are on the line with these idiot activists and we're listening to them. Who elected them? That's my question. Who elected these morons? You know, Billy, when this conversation
2: to fund the police started, the police were like, police officials were like, you can't do that. It's not going to be, it's not going to turn out well. What you're doing is, again, it's ideology over common sense. What are you doing? They didn't want to listen to it. And the bad thing is not only do you have uh, self-appointed, you know, uh, experts like this gentleman here that you just quoted, who's never worked in law enforcement as a police officer out on the Hi, street. if I could
0: just interrupt you. His name is Ernesto Lodano. That's who okay. wrote this article. Yeah. All right. What it's, What it's, do you it's, think his political persuasion is? First of all, he writes for The New York Times. It's, if you're not a leftist, you don't get a job there. Number two, he point to, he, he points at the Republicans as wrong when it's the Democrats that back this nonsense, and it's like it's ridiculous. And then pointing to the fact, oh, it wasn't given a chance. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me,
2: Billy? It's been given a chance for like four years now, and we see what has happened. Um, and everyone, every person in law enforcement from the from the first day patrolman out on the street on your first day on patrol to a police chief in a major city would have told you the same thing. This is not the way to go. If you want to reimagine policing, you can do that. Hey, you know, you want to make things better? Go for it. But you better do some research and talk to some people in the field to say, what do they predict will probably happen? We know what people will do. People will look for the weakest spots in your Criminal justice system, lack of police, and they'll take advantage of it. Wow, crime went up. Shootings went up. Grand larceny auto went up. Juvenile crime went up. Wow, who could have predicted that? Come on, you know? And the sad thing is, these people are talking about first affecting first line police responders, and yet they've never actually worked as a first line police officer to see what. Actually, goes on. It's ideology over common sense, and you got to shake your head.
0: It's unbelievable, but you know sometimes you, you have to dig a little further into that. Like, who mm-hmm. is dictating uh, policies? And to to put it at a local level, also, mm-hmm. the Manhattan District Attorney right. came into office and did things that actually were against the law. Mm-hmm. He he printed this like nine page manifesto of what his intentions were. He intended to make robbery first degree with a gun if no one was shot. He intended to make that a misdemeanor. Where did you get the right to change the New York State penal law that is made by legislators? Where did you get that right? Self-appointed, self-appointed. You know,
2: (laughs) you just have to look at the statute. And as you say, you have to charge the person with the felony, the proper felony. (laughs) What happens later on, in terms of um, perhaps a uh, some sort of plea bargain is another thing, but to say I'm going to take something that is technically a felony, a very serious felony, and we're actually going to pretend it didn't happen the way it did and charge them with as a misdemeanor. And you know, robbery is always a felony, no matter how low it is. They're going to char- what are you going to charge as as a petty larceny, as if it was a shoplifting, you know. It's again, it's it's ideology over common sense, but who like that was
0: Alvin Bragg's yeah. idea his first day in office. He printed it up this and then he had to he had to backpedal on it because there was outrage at it. Like, first of Come all, on. dude, you were elected Manhattan DA. You were not a legislator that makes wow. the laws. The legislation makes the law. You do not, you enforce the law. Right. And of course, district attorneys have broad discretion, but Mm-hmm. To make a robbery first degree a misdemeanor, you don't have that discretion.
2: You don't have that authority. No. If he wanted to, he could have easily, you know, gone up to Albany, spoke to somebody, say, "Look, we need to change our robbery laws in the next you know year or two when your you know criminal justice uh, committee gets together, could you change the law? That would be a legal way to do something. What he did was a total abrogation
0: of his duty to enforce the law. Scary. Absolutely. Let me play a little bit of this. This is talking about the policing problem nationwide. And the
6: hiring woes have been building for years. A survey of police departments in 2019 found that nearly 80% of agencies reported struggles with hiring qualified recruits. Half of the agencies said they changed internal policies and qualifications to get more candidates.
7: Large departments and small in urban and rural I think we've seen this problem uh, growing steadily over the last, say, 10 years or so, Uh, but it really ramped up post-COVID.
6: 4% fewer officers were hired in 2021 than in 2019, and departments across the country saw 47% more resignations and 19% more retirements in 2022 compared to 2019 according to a survey of police chiefs by the Police Executive Research Forum. This has been a particular problem with the New York Police Department, whose officers have been targeted for recruitment from other cities. Metro PD ads can be seen throughout New York transit subways, promising signing bonuses and moving assistance to DC. Chief of Police in Aurora, Colorado, traveled to New York to try and directly recruit officers to fill his 50 vacancies, promising lower cost of living and higher starting salaries.
7: Uh, Some states have added uh, a a recruiting bonus to out-of-state applicants who are already certified. Which they're all interesting ideas, but um, when when we're taking from one agency to another, we're not solving the problem. We're just moving it.
0: You know what? What I would say to this gentleman is like your agency or the agency that's recruiting does not care about who they're recruiting from. They want to solve their problem, not your problem. Right. And since this is a national problem. It's not a problem that's going away anytime soon. Uh, the only way to make this go away or to, uh, to rectify it partially, A, is better pay, better training. We Whenever anyone says this is what, and I saw someone in the chat talk about this, better training. Let me tell you something. Politicians always talk about better training, and they don't mean it. You know why? Because it costs lots of money. trained police officers because you don't just get trained when you're in the academy good training on a police department happens all the time you go to training you go to firearms training in service training training with the law classroom training it has to be continuous and for you to get that classroom training where do you have to be you have to be in a classroom what does that mean you're not out on the street so when politicians say Better training. They do not mean it. They are full of shit, these politicians. They really are.
2: Billy, there's so many things that have gone wrong over the past couple of years. You know, even if you gave them some money, you still, and you can get some people to move from one state to another, one city to another. The conditions under which you work are sometimes very similar. If you're in a a city in Florida or some other city compared to say New York or Chicago, you're still going to have some of those things. If the if the local politicians do not respect the police, they do not support the police. They actually actively act openly to subvert the trust in police and by chanting ridiculous slogans that have no meaning whatsoever. And and also you could criticize, God bless you, go ahead and criticize, but why don't you actually have an alternative plan that has been well-researched. You don't have anything like that. So you get a, a, a storm, of a confluence of a number of factors that just keep the numbers low. Some police departments may do well by recruiting other, other people, personnel from other departments to give them a bonus, but you're not going to solve the problem nationwide until there is a change in attitude and change in law, starting from the top, uh, from the president, the attorney general, and in the, in the, the uh, governors and the state attorney generals and the city mayors and the local, um, the local district attorneys. You need a change from the top on down. I don't see it happening. I'm a pessimist, but I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel yet.
0: You know, Mike, I want to show this is an officer who left the Philadelphia Police Department for greener pastures. I'll put it that way. And we'll just watch what he has to say
1: everybody just wants to tell you that you're a
0: pig they
7: want to announce all these bad words to you and i'm honestly just trying to help people but coming out here in palm springs and like this the city the police are respected
8: what role did the incentives play in you choosing palm springs
7: the incentives they did play a a good part because i mean it, it was a big benefit over the other desert cities and that being close to the L.A. area.
8: (laughs) Palm Springs Chief Andrew Mills says the department offers bonuses and factors in time served in its pay packages to recruit experienced officers. What are the reasons that officers are giving you for why they're leaving some of these bigger cities?
1: You know, it's all individual, and this was a horribly tremendous experience over the last few years where you had
7: COVID, the uncertainty of whether or not you're going to come home because of that, and then rolling that right into... Uh, a lot of social unrest. I think that they're looking for that community where they see support.
8: He says policing in 2023 is a tougher job than it's ever been, as officers are expected to deal with social issues such as mental illness and homelessness.
7: Right now, the police are the only ones here to handle things that are incumbent on all of society. And I've got a 24-year-old kid with a BA
1: degree or maybe a high school education trying to solve problems that PhDs can't solve. This is really a problem that um, is in every corner of the United States.
3: Ian
8: Adams is a professor of criminology and criminal justice at the University of South Carolina. He says experienced officers are leaving larger departments for smaller ones, though it's difficult to pinpoint how many. Some factors for the exodus include record retirement numbers and quality of life concerns. Some officers we spoke to say efforts to defund the police following the deaths of George Floyd and Tyree Nichols. No justice! <coughs> also weigh on them
1: policing is indeed facing a staffing crisis that it hasn't really seen in modern history
8: an nbc news analysis of fbi data shows officer counts fell 2.3 percent from 2019 to 2022 it's prompting agencies to compete for the best officers with new incentives new orleans pd offering a twenty thousand dollar hiring bonus for experienced officers north las vegas police offering 30, and $5,000 for moving costs Officers who are military vets get another five grand to sign. The city of Alameda in Northern California offering a $75,000 hiring bonus to both transfers and academy graduates. That's on top of a starting salary of 110,000. Compare that to NYPD, which recently raised its base salary to $55,000. The staffing shortage is also a matter of timing. Some 100,000 officers hired under the 1994 Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act are now retiring. What does that mean for public safety in the cities where these officers are leaving?
1: It has horrible effects on, on public safety. When you have um, large numbers of officers leaving our cities that are most in need right now, following record uh, increases in homicide and other forms of violent crime in the last few years, obviously we have a public safety problem.
0: So on the- so, Mike, my question is, you see that officers are leaving for greener pastures, better jobs, better pay, mm-hmm. better quality of life, uh, more respect from your police department. Uh, in New York City, police department, I mean, was, it was a little different maybe when we were on it, but it's basically, it's a really large police department. And even if, when they cut it in the next two years, it'll go down to 29,000. That's like a small army. However, at one point it was up over 41,000. I believe that was during the Bratton era where they hired and they got federal money from the safe street, safe city program. And they hired more officers and New York city became the the safest large city in America. And that wasn't just because of the amount of cops. It was based on the type of policing that was done, which was, known as broken windows style policing, which is out of vogue right now. It's totally out of vogue. Now it's let the criminal do what he wants policing.
2: Yeah, Billy, the idea of broken windows policing started, the original uh, idea started years ago with an article from George Kelling uh, back uh, studying uh, Newark Police Department procedures by trying to, you know, get police out of, cars and talking to the public and getting the public to actually feel safer, even if statistically they weren't, you know, there wasn't great changes and fluctuations downward in crime. And over the years, it morphed into the idea of broken windows and going after hot spots specifically. Crime is not equally distributed across every street in New York City. There are neighborhoods with almost no crime whatsoever that ever gets reported. There are are, are the poor neighborhoods tend to have the greatest number of crime. And even in those neighborhoods, crime is specifically uh, attracted to a certain area because of uh, freeways, hiding places, you know, places out of sight, uh, buildings, whatever it happens to be. Hotspot policing. You'll get, you know, calls repeatedly into one particular block or one particular corner. And under Bratton, they started to say, look. We will target those places 24 hours a day, seven days a week, arrest people who were, who were there. Remember, they started arresting turnstile jumpers in the, in, the, in the transit system, and transit robberies went way down. Why? Well, let's see. People who are going to rob and thieve and victimize you, know, you know, the average person just going to work on the subway, they, those people, those perps, they don't pay their fare. So suddenly we're picking up people, and they've got knives and guns on them, and they've got warrants on them, and now we're putting them in prison. It, you know, it's it's an excellent tool, but it became out of vogue when people started saying it's all racial, and the politicians who were, you know, that were supposed to be supporting the police, like the mayor, uh, um, after after uh, you know, after, Koch was a wonderful mayor. For the police. But after that, it went downhill. And here we are. Uh, no, none of the politicians are supporting the police and saying, look, the, the people who are the greatest likely likelihood to be victims of crime are the poorest people. And we're giving the most police services to those people to drive down crime. If you are disproportionately affected as a victim of crime because of your neighborhood and your poverty level you will be disproportionately benefited by the reduction in crime in, in your neighborhood and uh, your block. It, it's sad that it's, it's gotten as far as it has, and uh, that it's been used as a cudgel to push back the idea of broken windows policing is racial. It's used as a cudgel to beat back any sort of effort because everything now is racially oriented, racially slanted, and it's, it's really sad.
0: Absolutely. This is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you like real crime or true crime from a police perspective, then you're in the right place. And if you're not subscribed to us, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and ring that bell. If you want to support us financially, we have a Patreon with three different levels, and we also have a YouTube channel membership with five different levels. And we'd appreciate all your support. This is a True crime from a police perspective.
7: Country, thousands of officers are in the nation's capital pleading for more support.
6: They are all around the nation feeling the toll of what it means to not be supported and not be respected by the people at the top. We need to make sure these men and women feel as though they are the heroes that we know that they are.
7: The nation's top cop, Attorney General Merrick Garland, on Wednesday participating in a wreath-laying ceremony ahead of National Police Week, which honors members of law enforcement who lost their lives in the line of duty. This comes as agencies across the country struggle with retention, recruitment, and funding. Especially in the wake of the Defund the Police movement.
1: We need to bring the rhetoric down regarding policing. Uh, we need to make this a more attractive job again. And the way
7: we do that is by having uh, fully supported by our elected lawmakers. Crime is soaring from coast to coast. In Washington, D.C., violent crime is up 10%, homicides up 15%, and a 12% uptick in robberies. All this as the Marshall Project is reporting a nationwide loss of approximately 18,000 law enforcement officers since 2020.
6: And safe law enforcement equals safe communities. And safe communities equals safe law
8: enforcement.
7: And the CEO of the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund is urging Congress to step up and back the blue. In Washington,
0: so it, it it is a little bit discouraging because uh, one of the things is, and of course we're, you know, we bleed New York blue, but uh, it's happening all across the country. And I think we can trace it back to the defund the police movement, the 2020 riots, mm-hmm. uh, a lesser extent COVID. I think it's been made an unattractive job. And a lot of the ways it has is because, What these officers were saying, not being backed by our elected officials, not having our elected officials support the police. Instead, in the case of the riots, the mostly peaceful riots, they uh, supported the mostly peaceful peaceful rioters, you know? Yeah,
2: Yeah. the mostly peaceful riots where there was uh, buildings burning and lives lost and, and businesses and hopes and dreams of people lost. Yeah. Mostly, mostly peaceful. You know, I was thinking about this before we're doing some research with numbers and stuff before the show. And I started to just think about philosophically, you know, that social compact that, that, that lady uh, mentioned, and you'd mentioned uh, a social compact between, you know, the police, the citizenry and the politicians, whereby the police, you know, the public is urged by the politicians and everyone else to obey the lawful commands of police, to uh, respect them, to support them. The police aren't going to be 100% perfect. No one is, but they are damn good at what they do. And they do make a lot of sacrifice to work the job. Yeah. Crazy hours, crazy working conditions, you know, that sort of thing, you're risking your life. But that social compact between the police, the community, and the politicians was broken. And now we're seeing really the politicians perhaps addressing that issue. But it's going to be, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to be a long time before, if ever, that it can get back to a point where when the police get to scene people will obey the commands of the police and the public will sit there and say, okay, thank you for doing your job or just walk away. But other than that, you know, everyone is like, we'll sue you, do your job. We know your job better than you. The politicians are out there uh, looking to take every single ability that you have away uh, that you have to, uh, you know, prevent crime. That, that social compact has been broken.
0: You know, know, Mike, all of that, what you just said, the proceeding is is so true. But in New York City now and in a lot of other cities across America, this whole problem has been exacerbated by the migrant crisis. Yeah. And uh, because of it in New York City, Mayor Eric Adams had to cut five percent across the board. And we mentioned it before, that includes the next five classes of police recruits is not going to happen.
7: cost of the migrant crisis. Fox 5's Lizette Nunez joins us now from outside City Hall with what the mayor is asking for. Good morning, Lizette.
3: Good morning, Dan. Well, the budget cuts are far-reached. We're talking every city agency will be impacted, and this goes into effect immediately.
1: We're in some serious financial trouble right now.
3: Mayor Adams making these remarks at a town hall after the city announced major budget cuts. Adams says the migrant crisis is to blame as it continues to put a strain on New York City resources.
1: The national government should be picking up this tab and it should not be coming out of the backs of everyday <laughs> New Yorkers. That is wrong and that is what is happening.
3: The budget cuts mean that the police force would be reduced to under 30,000, the lowest number in decades, plus impose a hiring freeze on the NYPD that would postpone five new classes of incoming officers, the PBA president calling it a disaster at a time where officers are already stretched thin.
2: We have a crisis in this city. We do not have enough police officers.
3: Other departments will also be impacted. The FDNY will be asked to reduce overtime costs. Any civilian vacancies will be eliminated, as well as light-duty firefighter positions. As the mayor has said, we're concerned about, you know, this fiscal crunch, the migrant crisis,
5: uh, and what it's going to do to our bottom line. You know, right now, our main objective is to make sure that we are protecting life and property, which is our mission. We can still do that, uh, even with these budget cuts, but it does mean that some important programs um, will have to wait.
3: As for the Department of Education, $1 billion will be slashed over the next two years. Middle schoolers will see reduced hours for the summer rising program. And thousands of pre-K spots will be cut. This comes as New York City Public Schools saw its first bump in enrollment in years. 8,000 additional students have been added to the school system. City libraries will not be spared from cuts. Library leaders say starting next month, most of the branches will be forced to close on Sunday.
0: So everyone is going mm-hmm. to feel this pain. No one's going to be. However, my question is, you became a sanctuary city. New York is a sanctuary city, which is against federal law. And I mentioned before we went on the air, uh, New York has an additional law that they must provide uh, housing. Um, I actually read part of the, the law um, Uh, they have a, they had a law that came into effect in 1984, I believe it was. Right. Whereas every it was on behalf of homeless people. Right, I believe it was the um, ACLU on behalf of a one of the homeless outreach groups sued the city, and the city has to provide. Shelter for every single homeless people in the city. Right. In some way, that applied to migrant people, people who are coming here illegally. It's breaking, it's busting the city. And how about the people that are here legally that are paying taxes? Now they're going to have their police removed, their sanitation cut back, their libraries closed, and all kinds of other city services are going to be cut because the municipality is breaking the law, having... Be having it be a sanctuary city.
2: Yeah, Billy, when that law was passed under, um, I think it was the Koch administration, um, it really was meant for the homeless within New York. These are, you know, American citizens who have mental illnesses or alcoholism and they're homeless. You'd, you'd see them in the 4-6 precinct. I'm sure you saw them where you worked, And, and you know, Phil did too. Um, and they, w- they would be provided shelter at like an armory. And I remember in the 4-6 precinct, Augie and I, my partner, would would you get a homeless person and you'd take them to occasionally to um, the shelter over by Kings, uh, the Kingsbridge Shelter by Kingsbridge and Jerome. It was like a huge old armory. It was converted for for men to to sleep there overnight. Um, the migrant crisis was never, uh, you know, predicted, and it just stretched has stretched our resources totally beyond the uh, you know the breaking point and we're in we're in total crisis mode we never thought we'd have to set up tent cities and or put uh, people up in in hotels in new york city that probably cost 200 a night you know and uh, but this is where we're at and it has made life miserable for everyone in manhattan especially in manhattan i'm not sure about how the other boroughs feel about it and how it impacts them but in midtown manhattan it's at a crisis stage and not only are is the police and the fire affected sanitation is going to be affected. Um, teach uh, uh, health and hospitals Corporation is going to be affected. Uh, you know, there's so many city agencies. Uh, everyone's being affected. Just everybody off the board, and um, it's it's uh, we're, we're we're in a spiral. We're in a downward spiral, and there's no right now no sense of hope that we're going to get out of this anytime
0: soon. Absolutely. Bella Finn, thank you so much for the three ninety nine super sticker. Very much appreciated. Um, yeah, folks, if you're looking for a uh, excellent defense attorney in the New York metropolitan area, then Joe Murray is your man. Joe is a retired NYPD police officer and a fantastic defense attorney. You can reach Joe on his cell phone at 718 514 3855. Email him at joe at jmurray law.com or go on his website jmurray-law.com. Not only is Joe a fantastic defense attorney, but a huge supporter of the Police Off the Cuff podcast. You know, folks, it's this is really, uh, I mean, when I talk about the whole sanctuary city thing, it, it, it's not fair. It really is not fair that a city can declare themselves a, san- a sanctuary city against federal law, And again, our politicians refuse to fix the mess that is immigration reform, both sides of the aisle, Republican and Democrat. They refuse to fix it. And as a result, we have our borders, people just pouring through there as if it's an open faucet. And then cities like New York that have declared themselves sanctuary cities are being just inundated with people that again, really don't belong here unless you come into this country legally. And now we have to supply them with all kinds of services. Did you hear that little statistic? There's 8,000, I believe it was 8,000, more kids in the city schools. Right. Whose kids do you think they are? Those are the children of migrants. And, you know, if you were supposed to be a country of laws. And if it's the law that you have to come here legally, that should be what's done. Well, how is it that we, the taxpayer, have to sponsor people that are coming into this country illegally? What you should be sponsoring is the removal of politicians through your vote. Uh, It's really disheartening. So that is going to be our report on why policing is having a hard time maintaining the recruitment and the retention of officers. And what it means for uh, cities across this country, Mike. Your final thoughts,
2: Billy. You know, thinking about it and thinking about the numbers, um, I remember being a kid and look and seeing in you know New York City in the 1970s, where uh, after the budget crisis, uh, the number of police dropped. It was must have been a it must have been a very miserable time to be a resident in some poor neighborhoods or to be a police officer on the job. Um, I got on in '82, and those older police officers. They were actually really nice to the rookies like me and Augie, you know, you know, Augie, because they could actually get a vacation day occasionally, get a day off. Um, They treated us great. And I was lucky to be in the first real upsurge in hiring in the police department. But uh, we're going to be going back to the 1970s. And it was not a good time for New York City. And I'm sure many other cities are going to be going backwards. What you saw in the you know fifteen years ago, ten years ago, in the drop of crime and pl- places looking clean and being safe and everybody bragging about how safe their big city is—that's no more. The re- new reality is things are going to get worse. Someday, hopefully, they'll get better again.
0: I hope so, Mike. Well said. And uh, you know our uh, reason for doing this show, obviously, is that uh, we we love policing. We it's been great yeah. to us. I loved being on the NYPD, and I don't know if my brethren, my folks that came on after me are having the same uh, experiences I had, or Mike. and uh, so we just wanted to cover this and to show what what's happening and why it's happening. and we did, we're not solving any problems. We're just shining a light on it a bit. So, Mike, thank you so much for your uh, input into this show. You're welcome. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll pull these off the cuff, real crime stories. Have a great night, everyone.
2: Good night. One
1: episode just ain't